Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. I want to talk to you about the Lord being our place of refuge. As our nation and the world move toward what the Bible refers to as the last days, we see disturbing trends around us which leave us feeling confused and alienated. Why are people so committed to tearing down God's moral standards? Why such hostility toward Jesus Christ? Who in their right mind could be so hateful as to bomb innocent people and then celebrate as if they'd done something heroic? Do you ever feel confused? I mean, do you feel the pressure? I think all of us do. You'd have to be living on a desert island for the last few years to not realize that something big is, is sort of shifting and a-moving in our world. Would you agree? Uh, there's there's a, a tremendous erosion of, of Christian values. And it doesn't seem to be just slipping naturally. It's like there's a whole bunch of people that really want it to slip. I mean, there's people who spend their nights thinking about how can they take us farther down the line. I, I don't know. They're aggressive. They sue. They're angry. It's strange. And then you've got all this terrorism. Uh, it is hardly a day goes by, but what you pick up the paper, you turn on the news, and you see something horrific. People, innocent people having this stuff going on. And it's it's confusing. It'll It'll make you want to to pull back and hide, doesn't it? Makes you want to kind of go live in the mountains. Where is all this headed? The forces behind these trends seem relentless. But at the same time, while all this is going on, all this negative stuff, we see people coming to Christ all over the world in great numbers. We see the Holy Spirit moving as powerfully today as in the pages of the book of Acts. We see churches growing in size and influence beyond anything we've ever seen in history. The largest churches in history are in existence right now. Churches of 100,000 people in one congregation. I mean, that go to church on a weekend. Can you imagine that? And that, they're, they're churches of 50, 75,000, 100, those kinds of things. It's, there's one church that's a million people. Can you imagine that? A million people in a church. It's in Seoul, Korea. It's, it's remarkable. We're living in those kind of times. I mean, on the one hand, we got, we got terrorist bombings and we got, we got peop, judges lose, being disbarred because they put the Ten Commandments somewhere in the courtyard. We've got crazy stuff. And then on the other hand, you have God moving as powerfully as, as ever before in history. So it seems the world is polarizing. Spiritual darkness is getting darker and God's light is getting brighter. And that, of course, is exactly what the Bible says will happen in the last days. But this knowledge alone doesn't prevent us from growing frightened by the swelling spiritual conflict we see everywhere we turn. In fact, if we don't learn to walk in God's promises, we'll find ourselves wanting to withdraw from life and hide. That's why the book of Exodus is so good for us to read. 
It shows us how God can protect his people even when we're surrounded by dangerous forces. It reminds us that he is our place of refuge. Would you say that with me? God is my place of refuge. Again, God is my place of refuge. You know, if we don't learn to hide in God, we're going to hide from life. It's really important. If we're going to be bold, if we're going to live aggressively, we have got to learn to trust God's protection as we go through life. It reminds us that he is our place of refuge. Even in the darkest of times, we do not need to fear. We can live boldly under his protection and full of hope as we wait for his deliverance. Holy Spirit, come and strengthen us. Give us boldness. Give us confidence in the promises of God. Build our faith, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you turn with me to Exodus chapter 10? This is still in the plagues. Who would have thought I preached through the plagues? Wow. Awesome. Look at verse 21 of chapter 10. This is just one example, but it, there, there's something beautiful in the picture that's captured right here, just in three verses. Verse 21 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even a darkness which may be felt. Now you could literally physically feel this darkness. Now people speculate what it was. Some people think it was a tremendous sandstorm. They have those in Egypt. Uh, that can just blot out the, dark, the sun, uh, or it could be a tremendous fog. Nobody knows. It might have been black cosmic goo. I don't know what he used. But he darkened it. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. And they did not see one another, nor did anyone arise from his place for three days. They stayed in bed. They literally lay there in bed and couldn't go anywhere. It's so dark. But look at the next statement. All the sons of Israel had light in their dwellings. Isn't that a powerful picture? You've got this darkness over the land, but where the people of God are, there's light in their dwellings. Meaning, I think, where they lived, the light of God, the, the, the sunlight was probably still shining or the Lord's, uh, the Lord's divine light was shining. I want you to see that picture. We can live in times where there is growing darkness around us. But you can know this promise that there will be light in the dwellings of the people of God. The Lord is with us and our protection. He's our place of refuge in times of trouble. Now turn with me to, to Psalm 46. This is just one of many, many promises in the Bible like this. But this is a good one. I want you to see... That the Lord has promised to be your refuge and strength. Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though its, the mountains quake at its swelling pride. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. There's a presence of the Holy Spirit that, that takes the people of God and makes them joyful. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations made an uproar and the kingdoms tottered. 
His, he raised his voice and the earth melted. You get the perspective here of God's massive power in dealing with the human race and with the nations of the earth. We often think governments and terrorists and all of these forces are so powerful. Who can stand against them? And yet the Bible says, compared to the Lord, they are just tiny little grasshoppers. In fact, I can show you where it says that. Come and behold the works of the Lord who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. He's our place of refuge. Once more, say with me. He's our place of refuge. When you need to hide, when you need to run, when you're afraid, the place we go is we go to God. We run to God in those times and he strengthens us. There came a moment where Israel was in slavery and they started praying. Now, how, have you ever noticed that you can endure tough things, hard things for quite a while and it hasn't yet occurred to you to pray? How many of you have those moments where you're, you're in the middle of something and after a moment you, you say, I don't think I've prayed. <laughs> you've worried. You've strategized. You've, you've gotten angry. You've told them off. You have to tell people off in the shower, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, you're just going at it. Aren't you glad they don't mic that thing, you know? So that all the stuff that you say in those quiet moments or in the car when you're just telling somebody off that like crazy, people don't hear that. But you haven't prayed yet. You've worried. You've been angry. You've strategized. But there comes that moment like, I don't think I prayed. That's exactly what happened to Israel. They're in slavery for I don't know how long. It may have been 70 years. Exodus chapter 2. It's, listen to this. It, it, it came about in the, verse 23. It came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died and the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage and they cried out and their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. When the first Pharaoh died who was oppressing them, they thought it would get better and the next one came in and it didn't get better and they finally started praying. Ah, isn't that nice? And what happened when they started praying? Verse 24, so God heard their groanings and God remembered his covenant and he saw the sons of Israel and he took notice of them. He started acting. Sometimes what we're waiting for when we look for relief, what we're, what we're waiting for is for us to start praying, for us to start seeking God. Let me tell you something. If you and I need to be praying for our country, we need to be praying for, for one another. We need to be trusting the Lord. And you may feel like, what do my little prayers matter? I'm going to tell you something. There's no numbers business in prayer. One person, can, I think, can change a nation. I'm serious. One person can change a nation. He used to say, you know, um, John Knox was one, of the, was one of the leaders of the early Presbyterian movement in, in, in uh, Scotland. And it said the king of England trembled when he went to his knees in prayer. So when that one man just went to his knees, the whole governments were frightened. What's going to happen to us? He's praying. I've often try, had in every church various prayer meetings, but usually they're not very big. But I've learned this, that even when I have a faithful smaller group, 
who'll pray, you can change a whole city. You can change a climate. You can change your family. The thing to start doing when things go tough is we need to pray, not get afraid. Our nature is to get afraid. The thing we need to do is pray. And then God's answer starts coming. And what did he do with, with, with Egypt? Well, he brought, first the thing, he, uh, he, he brought flies. That'll, that'll change things. God gets in there and he begins to so disturb the people that are attacking you that they are, they're preoccupied. They can't bother attacking you anymore because they're struggling with what God sent against them. Like a plague of flies. Or like the livestock all died or boils. That'll stop things. Hail and locusts, darkness, and the death of the firstborn. He shook Egypt to its roots. He had them on their heels. Remember this, God is a warrior. God is a mighty warrior. It says when the enemy comes in like a flood, he raises up his standard. You remember that? Well, a standard's a battle flag. He raises up his battle flag and he fights for you is what it means. When the enemy comes in like a flood, God will fight for us. I could use a couple more hallelujahs. I, you know, you're, I mean, this is hallelujah kind of stuff. I, I, I make no, no, no apologies tonight. This is a pep talk. I think we need it. I think, things, I think there's trouble around us, and I think we need to get focused on, our, on the power of God that's with us. We need to get focused on who's, who's going to be our help, or we'll get frightened. When, I was, when I, Mary and I were first married... I remember one of the things that I heard said quite a bit, and it was this. With a world like ours, why would people want to bring children into this environment? And so my generation thought, let's not have kids because things are so bad that uh, who knows what kind of world they'll live in. How many are my age or around there, and you heard that kind of talk? Raise your hand. Look at that. The young people don't look at those hands. (laughs) All of those people heard that kind of talk. The things were so bad back in the 70s that we wouldn't dare have children because there's just no telling what kind of horrible world they would inherit. And I want you to know the world has changed. And there's certain things that are more difficult, certain things that are a little more sinister than they were when, when we grew up. No question about it. But I've also learned this. As I raised my children. Because we almost, I mean, we had discussions about that silly thing. And then, you know what finally turned my heart is the Bible says, blessed is the man who has a quiver full of children, you know. So I said, well, Bible says it, let's have children, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> Mary wanted to have them all along. But, um, am I glad I had children? Are my children glad I had children? <laughs> I know three people that are really glad that I didn't listen to that silly counsel about how dangerous the world is and you shouldn't have children. Now I say that because I think today you could be saying the same thing. I think you young people could have it in your head. Maybe we shouldn't have children with all the terrorism that's going on and with all the, the way the morals slide in our country. Who, should, who would dare bring children into a world like this? Christians. I'll tell you who dares. I'll tell you who doesn't live afraid. You and I have to live boldly. How? You have to live boldly. The Lord does not want us frightened. What have I found over our years? I've watched the Lord guide us and protect us in raising our children. I've watched my children. My children are more sophisticated 
more aware of things than our generation was because they have to be. And yet they're all, they're all serving the Lord. They love the Lord and God is blessing them. Even though the times have grown more difficult. And I want you to know that your children, young people, your children will also prosper. You see, you see, you see Israel, God can prosper it right through Egypt. There's no times when God can't take care of us. And we must never go into a frightened, fearful mode. We must choose to live boldly. 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul says to, to uh, Timothy, who is a young pastor with a whole lot of grumpy old people. That was what was going on. And he said to him, Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of, but of power and of love and of a sound disciplined mind that's not carried away with fears and motions and stuff like that but a mind that's focused on the things of God God has not given us Timothy a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound disciplined mind I'm going to say it again God has not given you a spirit of fear but of power and of love, and of a sound, disciplined mind. We've got to live boldly. We've got to live in these days without fear. Number two, we've got to live wisely. Matthew ten sixteen says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. We don't go around making trouble. We make wise choices. My grandfather had a saying. It's not in the Bible, but it ought to be. He said, when you have your head in the lion's mouth, don't pull its tail. <laughs> now, there's real wisdom there if you just think about it. You have your head in the lion's mouth, don't pull its tail. In other words, when you're, when you're vulnerable, don't make trouble you don't need to make. Amen. And Christians need to listen to that. Some people go out and just get downright difficult and obnoxious and br will literally invite persecution and harassment. There's some things we have to stand on. There's other times we can just be a little bit gentle and wise. Jesus tells his disciples, it was a very dangerous environment he sent them out into. He said, I want you to be wise as serpents. Be careful and think and harmless as doves. I don't want you hostile and difficult. But you go out and change the world. See, it's not like we're going to be weak, but we're going to be wise and careful. Where, we ha where we're going to have a battle, we want to, we want to be careful where that's going to be and that it's a needed battle. Thirdly, we need to live hopefully. Jesus says, Luke 21, 28, when you see these things begin to take place, these, the signs of the times, and I should tell you that the stuff that we see around us right now is the kind of thing the Bible says will happen in the last days. I don't know when the last days is. It could be 500 years from now. I don't know. But I do know that the forces, the sort of things that God speaks of, the polarization of the human race, the kinds of raising up of a Near Eastern prince, the sort of things that are happening now are the sort of things the Bible talks about for the last days. So how are we going to live in those last days? Are we going to live afraid? When they asked Martin Luther, they said, if you knew Jesus was coming tomorrow, what would you do today? And he says, I'd plant my apple trees. 
Meaning if I knew the Lord was coming tomorrow, I would do today just exactly, faithfully what I felt I was to have done with the day anyway. You and I, you know, the, la- the worst thing in the world we can do is get real weird. <laughs> so, it, it, one of the things that's hurt the Christian church over the years is people start thinking, well, Jesus is coming any day now, and they quit their jobs. I knew one group that charged up a whole lot of money on their bank cards because they figured Jesus was coming and they wouldn't have to pay the bill. I mean, is that stupid or what? I mean, really, get out of here. We've had groups over history, I'm not kidding, who got dressed in white robes and stood on their rooftops. And then, of course, when he doesn't come, they go, (laughs) you know, you have to get down the ladder and your little white robes, the whole thing. The comforting thing is even in the New Testament, you can find in the book of Thessalonians, they had people then who wouldn't work and were sitting around waiting for Jesus to return, saying he's coming back any day. And Paul has a nice word for them. He says, if a man will not work, neither shall he eat. Get that bum out of the church. (laughs) The way way he approached it. Had no place for that kind of silliness. So if Jesus is coming tomorrow, we plant our apple trees today. We're faithful today. You and I ought to be living every day like he's coming tomorrow. That's nothing new. We ought to be living every day like it could be our last. We ought to value every day we wake up. We've got another 24 hours to live for Jesus and spend it well. That's how, we sh- that's how disciples live. So if he was coming tomorrow, it doesn't make any difference. He says, when you see these things starting to happen, he says, I want you to straighten up, lift up your head, And smile, because your redemption draws near. He says, I'm right at hand. I'm coming. How does he protect us? I want to talk to you now. I said he's our place of refuge, and I want to get real practical. Jesus is our place of refuge. I don't care what's ahead, and I don't, I mean, I do, but regardless of what's ahead, regardless of the difficulties we face, we have a very real protection. God is our ever-present help in times of trouble. He really helps us. So I'm going to give you just some practical examples of how he will protect us regardless of what I had. First way he protects us is his written word, the word of God. If you and I will simply obey the Bible, we can save ourselves an enormous amount of trouble. For one example, one of the things that's ravaging our earth today is STDs. Sexually transmitted diseases of all sorts, all kinds of of things that won't respond to antibiotics now, all kinds of things. You've certainly got AIDS, you've got on and on and on. If you simply obeyed the Bible, that wouldn't be an issue unless you got attacked, would it? It would just suddenly all of that goes away. Monogamous When two virgins get married and are monogamous, they just don't have a lot of STD problems. You understand? If you don't, ask me later. (laughs) Yeah, this will sound silly, but, you know, there's kosher eating laws in the Bible. And no, you don't have to keep them to go to heaven or everything. But God gave them for some reason. He didn't just sort of come up with something to be silly. And so there's something about health that has to do with, his, with the way he guides people to eat. 
Well, I, I just am taking a wild guess, but I'll bet you civet cats aren't on the menu for a kosher list. The civet cats are what has been causing SARS. And it's come out of the, uh, of the east where they, they eat these strange animals. It looks like a zoo when you go into some of those, those meat markets. I'm not kidding. Just stuff that, you know, you can't believe they're eating Fido. And they're, <laughs> they're eating these various things to get the powers off of them. They believe they provide a power. And then probably they do when they eat them with that kind of faith. Um, but that's, that's an old, uh, that's, uh, that's uh, animism. Anyway, that's where SARS is coming from, from these little civet cats that they're eating. They're getting the blood all over everything, and that disease has transmitted into the human race, and we now have SARS. There's, the real thought is that AIDS came the same sort of way from, uh, from monkeys. What if we just ate like the Bible said? Well, you say, that's silly, we don't have to. No, you don't, but you wouldn't have those diseases. Do you know that the, the, the Jews, through much of their history, have been persecuted? And, and here's one of the reasons. When these great plagues would sweep through Western Europe and places like that, very often the Jewish households wouldn't get sick. They didn't get bubonic plague. They didn't get some of these things. And so you know what people concluded? They said, those Jews must be poisoning our wells and trying to kill us. And they developed a conspiracy theory because the Jews weren't getting sick. And so they attacked them because they were well. Well, you know why they were well? They took their, they took their, their, their refuse out and <laughs> didn't just pour it out the window. They, they didn't have rats all through their home. They kept clean water. They ate kosher. And so they didn't get diseased. I'm just saying, even on the most practical levels, as we go into the future, you want one huge protection for you, for your finances, for your marriage, for your, for your mental health, for your physical body, just obey the Bible. I mean, that, that's a radical thought, I know, but uh, <laughs> it does. Second thing he uses to protect us is his voice. Isaiah 30 verse 21 says, Your ears will hear a word behind you. This is the way. Walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right or to the left. In other words, as I'm going through life, there's a course God has set for me. He knows where he wants me when. And when I turn to the right or I turn to the left, off of that course that God has planned for me, I can count on hearing a voice a still small voice from God that says, this is the way, you're not to be over here, you're to be over here, walk you in it. We start out our walk with Jesus Christ with, a, with, with, with what is an intellectual commitment and a step of faith. We trust that he died as our savior. We yield our lives to him as our Lord. It's a willful decision, it is how you're saved. But once you're saved, you're filled with the Holy Spirit and one of the things God wants to do is move your relationship with him from an intellectual commitment to a communicational relationship. You and I are to come to a place where we talk with the Lord and he talks with us. Now, I know we all have stories of some space cadet that said God told them to axe murder their neighbor or whatever. But God does speak to us. And I want you to understand something. 
It is important that you learn to recognize the voice of God. I have never heard an audible voice, but he has spoken to me many times. Here's why it's so important. As we go into more difficult times, one of the major ways God will protect you is by saying, this is the way, walk you in it. Christians in persecuted countries and things like that all over the world rely on the voice of the Holy Spirit to tell them when to go and when not to go. They pray constantly about, can I trust this person, can I not? And then they're listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. If you can't hear that voice, you're going to have a hard time. This took place back in the Sandinista Revolution, you remember, in Nicaragua? There was a group of spirit-filled Christians in Nicaragua. And, and the things were really getting bad. And all of a sudden, the Lord spoke to a whole group of them. I think there were 70 to 100, something like that. And they all went out and the Lord said, get out of town and go out and, and camp out somewhere. And I'm going to protect you there. And just people were dying like crazy. And they went out and they just sat before the Lord and just did what the Lord told them to do. And that group of, I don't know, 70 people, something like that, went through the entire Sandinista Revolution and not one person was killed or even injured. One child picked up a bomb and had a little damage, not much. And that was the extent of it. At one point, they had a whole busload of their children um, machine gun, they had set, uh, they had, I don't know how many bullet holes through the bus and not one child was even grazed. God set his hand over them and protected those spirit-filled believers through that entire war. Now I want to tell you something, I don't know what's ahead of us, but in the household of Israel, there will be light. No matter what we face, God is our refuge. We do not have to be afraid. He'll fight for us. He'll protect us. He'll put his hand around us. The last thing in the world we're to do is grow fearful. The last thing we're to do is withdraw and, and pull into a hole and get paranoid. We must live aggressively and boldly. Wisely, boldly, and full of hope. These are old illustrations of mine. They're true ones. They're just a couple of good ones. I want to talk about how you hear the voice of the Lord. Mary and I were, and our, and our family were driving through Montana on a trip back to Minnesota. And I, we were outside of Missoula. And it was growing dusk. And we were on the, on the interstate. You've got two lanes in each direction. And nobody was around I didn't have anybody in front of me, anybody behind me. So I was driving in the left-hand lane because it was smoother. You know, sometimes the trucks make the right-hand lane rough. And so I'm over in the smoother lane cruising along. Got it on cruise. And just kids are in the back with listening to whatever and all of that's going on. And as, as I'm driving along, I just get this voice. And when I say a voice, my ears didn't hear anything. But it's as if God spoke to me without sound. I have all the feeling of having been talked to, but my ears did not hear noise. Do you know what this is like? You just know you got talked to, but you didn't hear anything with the ears. It's because your spirit heard it. Your spirit hears. And I'm driving along, and the Lord says, get out of the left lane. Move to the right. Well, I always know it's the voice of God because I always argue. <laughs> and it's one of the clear tests for me. 
Now, I looked way down the road. There's nobody ahead of me. I looked behind me in the rearview mirror, and there's nobody way behind me. This is kind of dusk, but I can still see. And then I said to myself, Steve Shell, you are getting to be a nut. You're bored. You're over-spiritual. You think you're hearing things. Cut it out. <laughs> and so to prove that, I stayed in the left lane. I'm just... But when God talks to you, you tend to, there's a pressure. He just kind of just stays there. <laughs> Sometimes he'll repeat himself. That's not good. But, I mean, <laughs> he didn't repeat himself. It just kind of came this mm, pressure on me. So finally, I just sort of said to my wife, I said, <laughs> oh, I just, I, I just thought maybe God said, get out of the left lane. <laughs> so she, well, then do it. Her approach to God is so simple. Okay. So I pulled over into the right-hand lane. Still feeling kind of dumb about the whole thing. But by now it's gotten dark and we, we're, we're, seeing the, we're seeing the lights of Missoula and I'm looking over and we're all looking, isn't that pretty, you know, looking at, at this, uh, this view. And, and I was glanced over there looking at the lights of Missoula as so I just caught the corner of it in my my left eye a black Buick Riviera remember one of those with the low sloped backs with a tire with its lights off oh. headed about 80 miles an hour on the wrong side of the freeway in the left lane and it went by us and just shook the car so powerfully wham you know and I what was that? <laughs> now, everybody in the car is going, oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> oh. I just <laughs> pulled over in a Missoula. <laughs> and then, of course, it's like, you idiot, when he tells you to get out of the left lane, get out of the left lane. <laughs> Now, you can, I'm telling you the truth, aren't I? Yeah. There's no way I could possibly have known. There's nothing human I could have known that there would be a car in the wrong side of the interstate with its lights off driving, I don't know how fast, but just ripping down the left lane. How would I have known? But God knew. And he, he'll, you'll hear a voice behind you when you turn to the right or the left saying, this is the way. Walk you in it. This is the way. You must learn to hear that voice. I believe that our family is alive today from several events. I may, I, I may tell you, take, I don't know, I won't um, tell you another one. Uh. All right, there we go. Okay, I will. Because I may not be terribly quick on my obedience, but I've been able to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Whenever I talk about that, I have certain people come up to me and they'll say, Pastor, I've never heard this voice. I don't know what you're talking about. 
yes, you have, I'll bet. You just don't know which is you and which is it. But it's that you learn. The voice of the Holy Spirit is very, very important for the future, for your safety, for your family, for everything. It's vital. His word, his voice. One more story on his voice. Another car story. Um, Mary and I, were, we were speaking at Old Oak Ranch, which is a four-square camp in uh, Northern California, Central California, around with the gold the Sutter's Mill and all of that. And it's up uh, in the hills. You can kind of see over toward Lake Tahoe. It's a beautiful place. And uh, we'd spoken and had our, uh, there uh, for a few days. And we're driving down this hill. And it's this narrow little road like a driveway. It is a state road, but it's coming down the mountain. And I had three children in the back. We had our little gold Toyota Corona. My, my older daughter's getting so big she has her feet sticking through the seats, you know, and we're arguing about not hitting the gear shift and the whole thing. But we're just packed. The family's just packed in this little gold Toyota Corona. And we came and there was a flagman, right? And the hill's kind of ramping down and the flagman's standing there and I'm the first in line. And I, I stopped and he says, you need to wait. There's, there's things happening. Yeah, and uh, so we're just standing. I turned the car off. We were in there long enough and... And uh, in front of me is a, a real sharp hairpin turn, and then it goes around the corner of a, of a point to the left and disappears. So we're just there, and as I'm sitting there, the Lord says, let it out of gear and coast over there across the road, which just means down around the turn and off. I said to the Lord, there's a flagman. <laughs> he won't like it. And he has a radio. He did too. Radio. And, uh, but in this case, he said it again. I said, let it out of gear and roll across. And then I don't think I even said, did I say to you, the Lord said this, or did I just let it out of gear? I did say it. I said, hang on, here we go. And the kids start screaming, Daddy, there's a flag, man, you know, the whole thing. <laughs> and I let it out of gear, and by George, he didn't like it. Oh. Hey, where you going? You know, yelling at us through the window, and I just went right over here and just rolled right on by him, you know. <laughs> you know, so he's muttering and grumping, and, and we went right on across, rolled into the shade, I didn't even have the car on, just rolled into the shade and pulled it to a stop, and sat there feeling so stupid. Oh. <laughs> Because I figure he's going to come tell me off. Who knows what's going to happen here. But within moments, around that point, came a semi loaded with hot tar. And it lost its brakes. And it came up around the curve and came swoop and, and went roaring right across the place we were parked. Flagmen's jumping. Cars are, 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 are wheeling off to the side. We'd have been killed. We would have had a semi-load of hot tar right across that little Toyota Corona with my whole family in it. It was amazing. And so you sit there, and then, of course, everybody, oh, daddy, how'd you know that? I didn't know that. What did I hear? What did I hear? That he is, now listen to me, God is no respecter of persons. He'll talk to you the same way. He wants to counsel you the same way. He wants to warn you and guide you the same way. 
All right, I'm going to give you one more story, and I'm going to conclude with that. But not on, not on, not on cars. <laughs> this one's on a motorcycle. Um, <laughs> God protects us with his word, with his voice, with his power. I can't tell you that story, but I'll tell you this one. In Romans 10:13, it says, For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Say that with me. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Sometimes you don't have guidance but you're in the middle of a mess and you call on God and he will answer you. <sighs> yeah, I'll tell you the first story. Coming down from Stevens Pass skiing a number of years ago, I got an old Toyota Corona. No, no, I've got the Subaru. Worn tires, no, no snow tires, no, no studs, no nothing, dumb as a post. <laughs> I had gotten up to Stevens Pass and the, the, the um, air fan had broken, so we were having to wipe the window with a sweat sock and look out the corner and try to see the highway. My windshield wipers weren't working, and my lights were, were just about dead. So this is trouble waiting to happen. We're coming down, and I got Rebecca in the back seat. It was snowing so hard that the uh, road was just... You couldn't see where the road was. You know, you just drive down the middle and hope there's pavement under you. And the road came, and it came to a turn, and right at the turn is a big iron bridge. And there's a big pillar there and a post, and over that, it water. And as our car came into that turn, it lost its grip. And we began to just go sideways, straight sideways, into that pillar. Now, I'm trying to turn into it, correct? I know some things about driving and snow. Nothing's happening. It's just not moving at all. Ever have that feeling where you're sitting in the thing and all of a sudden you say to yourself, oops, we're going to have an accident. I mean, there's that sense like, uh-oh, this is going to happen. That had happened. And as it happened, I called out to God. And, I, and it was just this simple. Jesus! And almost instantly, the car like it hit something. It didn't, it didn't slow down. It went boom and swung around the other way. Now we're going sideways down the bridge and there's a car coming. This is worse. And so we're going this way now and I went, Jesus! And the car went boom again. And came right back in, and we went straight down that thing, and the other car passed us, and we came out the other side of the bridge, all of us just going, Are you okay? Yeah. How did we get out of that? I don't know. It was God. What, what happened? I think we hit angels. However you want to say it, it's the power of God. And if you... I, we could just go on and on with stories of, of the Lord's protective hand. How many of you have had such experiences? Isn't it wonderful? As you go into the future, I don't care how dark it is. I don't care what we're going to face. That protective hand of God is there. And here's my last. Remember Mike Larkin? He spoke to us. He was the missions director for Foursquare. He still is. <laughs> he still is. And he's a good one. Uh, Mike told you he was a police officer before and he, had a motor he has a motorcycle. Well, just after he left us, he was out 
riding his motorcycle, just for the fun of it, with his son, Kellen, who's nine years old, on the back. And he's there in Anaheim on those big broad streets. And, and uh, as they came to an intersection, there was a car in the left-hand turn lane. And, the, and the, the, the young fellow was looking at a girl over on the sidewalk around, going around the corner and forgot where he was and went right into the, to oncoming traffic. And Mike is driving this motorcycle, you know, and he sees what's developing, and then he can tell the guy isn't aware he's even sliding like this. And so he doesn't know where, when he fi figures it out, will he correct that way, will he correct this way, what's he going to do? And so he didn't know even where to way to turn to try to avoid him. So he's watching and riding this thing, and finally he knew he's going to hit. And so he says to his son on the back, he says, hang on, Kellen. And so his son wraps his arms around his dad, buries his head in him, and they hit. The car goes right into Mike's leg and practically severed it. Mike is down on the ground in the middle of an intersection in Anaheim. He looks over and his boy's sitting there kind of breathing like this, you know, and, and he had apparently uh, ruptured his spleen in all of this. But little Callan gets up and Goes over, you know, and, and he says, somebody says, pardon me, that's, that's my dad's wallet, you know. And he takes his wallet and he says, that's my dad's phone. And, take, you know, some, and then somebody's saying to the little boy, come over, sit on the curb, son. And, and he says, no, no. And he goes right back out in the middle and sits by his dad, right in the middle of the intersection. And Mike says he was just praying that he wouldn't faint from the pain that he was experiencing, that he could stay awake for his son. They went, uh, it, Mike's wife, uh, her father, was a, a, a very foremost doctor in, in, in Orange County and actually started one of the hospitals. And so when word came to her, she simply said, where did they take them? Because she knew Anaheim Memorial was two blocks away. But when they said it, Irvine General, that's the trauma. And so she turned white and went and got her children, her two daughters up at Kmart and headed just straight down to the hospital. She walked in and, and uh, went right in he, uh, to Kellen's room. He's, he's all full of things. And his, he says, first thing he says is, Mom, Dad's okay, meaning he's alive. <sighs> Mike, I just saw him down in Los Angeles. and He, I just, heard, he just told me this. And he said uh, the other day, he, his son now has recuperated. And he can't play sports, but he's fine. And I'll tell you what happens to Mike in a minute. Um, but he said to he said to Kellen, he said, "Do you remember the accident?" "Yes, Daddy." "Do you do you remember the car coming at us?" "Yes, Daddy." "Do you remember us hitting?" "Yes, Daddy." "Do you remember us on the ground?" "Yes, Daddy." He says, "Were you were you afraid?" He says, no, Daddy. He says, you weren't? No. He says, why not? He says, because I heard you praying. That little boy put his arms around Mike. And how, I, I, I said, did he hang on through the whole thing? He says, just, he was still on me. After the thing on the ground. He hung on to his dad, buried his head. And trusted that Jesus 
would save them. Now, how's Mike? My, they were passing a, a thing to Roxanne Larkin when she, you know, to sign for an amputation when he, she, he, she came in. But lo and behold, they found a vein that's not supposed to be there. It's, it's an extra one he happened to have. <laughs> <laughs> and they hooked it, turned it around and hooked it up and within just minutes saved his leg. Then they thought they were going to they wanted to have a surgery to put all the bones back at the top of the tibia is broken off the things are separated everything is just complete but but the leg was too swollen to do that so they had to put it off and then as all of you've been praying and people all over the country for some reason all of the bones have come right back together on their own the the tibia has come back the bones have realigned the leg and the doctor just, I mean, they're just, um, it's absolutely miraculous. The leg has come back into place and is healing. They did some skin graft or something, and it took 100%. They never take 100%. Um, he may have some reconstruction of his ACL and some of that. That all got, I, I, but who knows what God is going to do. He's got pain, a lot of it in one foot from a damaged nerve, but the doctor keeps saying, just thank God for the pain because it means you've got nerves. <laughs> you, know, you know, it'll heal. So, so Mike sits there and endures it, but he says, thank you, Jesus. You know, I've got pain in my foot. He, he was at our meetings. Here's the, here's, did you hear that boy's faith? Were you frightened, Kellen? No, Daddy. Why not? Because I heard you praying. So I knew it'd be all right. What a fine young man, huh? That boy's going to be something. I heard you praying. People, when we go through the future, I don't know what it has in store. I don't know what we face. I'll tell you what we do. We're going to hang on to Jesus. We're going to bury our head in him. And it's going to be okay because he's with us. It's going to be okay. We are not going to live afraid. We're not going to withdraw. We're going to be bold and wise and hopeful as we face the future. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we love you. And you have said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And Lord, when we get our eyes off of you and we put them on the world and we watch the news and we listen to all the things people say, we get afraid. But we put our eyes right back where they belong. We have a, a God who is our place of refuge, our ever-present help in time of trouble. We will not fear though the mountains shake and slide into the sea. And Lord, I just pray for, the, for, for, for you to just break any spirit of fear that's gripped any of us, the young ones, the old ones, and that you would give us boldness and joy, that we would live our days well and full of, full of confidence in you. Lord, we'd have lots of children if God's calling us to have children, that we'd, we'd be bold and plant our apple trees. Forgive us when we, when we start looking at eschatological timetables and begin to calculate things and get weird. Jesus, keep our eyes focused 
on people and on you. Help us live well in these days. And we just by faith thank you for the days ahead, for the years ahead. Thank you for the blessings. Thank you for the protection. Thank you for being our strong deliverer. Thank you for being a mighty warrior that loves us and fights for us. You can take us through anything. And we praise you for it. Help us live boldly, wisely, and full of hope. Come Holy Spirit, in Jesus' mighty name. Now, I have one more thing just with this. I think somebody probably needs to respond. Fear may have been gripping your heart. And I'll tell you that this sermon was for me. And I'm standing already. But I'm going to just suggest somebody may need to stand up and say, Today, I'm standing up and I'm going to live boldly, wisely, and full of hope. I am not going to live fearfully. And you just need to make that statement. You need to respond right now. I just feel like God needs to seal it in your heart before I dismiss you. Who needs to stand and say, That's me. I've had fear. I've I've let my future get clouded. I've, I've thought, Boy, I don't have any future. Who knows what there is for me given the way things are going. And you've allowed the devil to steal your hope I'll tell you I I fight the same stuff come on who else needs to stand come Holy Spirit this is an important moment I'm going to pray that God will give you a gift of faith that he's going to he's going to take away that fear and give you back your future for I know the plans I have for you says the Lord I know the plans I have for you Plans for for a future and a hope, not for calamity. God can take us through anything, not only surviving, we can come out prospering, we can come out blessed. Come, Lord. Lord, by standing, we are making a declaration about you and about what you can do in our lives. We've, in any way, Lord, fear has come in that we have believed a lie, that we've looked to the right or the left. We've looked at the, at the wind and the waves and the storm around us. And we've taken our eyes off of you and we've begun to sink into fear. Forgive us. Forgive me, Lord, where I've let that happen. Forgive me, Father. But tonight, we, de- we put our eyes right back where they belong. Jesus Christ, you're our place of refuge. You're a rock that is higher than I. You've been a rock that's cleft for us. You're our, you're our hiding place. And when we hide in you, we are strong indeed. Nothing can bring our lives down. By faith, we thank you. We haven't even seen the future, but we know who's there. You are. Thank you for the future. Thank you for the blessings of our lives. Lord, for these young people, thank you for the marriages and the children and the families that they will raise successfully, successfully in the years ahead. No matter what the world does, they're going to have blessed homes. There'll be light in the homes of Israel. Though there's darkness over the whole land, praise you, Jesus, for blessing these homes. And Lord, for for us older ones, thank you for a future for us. That our lives are not spent. We are that we are not done. That there's there's a you know the plans you have for us, for good and not for evil, to give us a future and a hope. We stand on your promises. We confess them. We claim them. We see them with eyes 
with spiritual eyes. We see the future with spiritual eyes. Full of goodness, full of hope, full of protection. Because you are there. Hallelujah. If you're standing and making that claim, would you just take one minute now and just thank the Lord. Just, just personally, just, you're, you're expressing faith is what you're doing. You're sealing it. Thank you, Jesus, for my future. Thank you for taking my, my life in your hands. Thank you for a, a blessed, blessed future. Thank you. I don't have to look at the storm around me. I don't have to look to the right or the left. doesn't matter what happens in the news. doesn't matter who's elected this, this November. It just doesn't change my life. You will be with me. You'll protect me. You'll bless me. You'll be with my, my, my coming in and my going out. Regardless of who's elected, regardless of what the courts decide, regardless of who bombs who, you're with me. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.